you learn that it's not the end of the world if you have a rail down. You know, the older you get, the more you realize there's much more important things in life than jumping a clean round. Like you, you would, you'll always go in, you try your best. You, you, if you're, sometimes you'll go in and you'll hit three rails really hard and they all stay in the cups. Another day you'll go in and you'll have the lightest rod when the jump falls now. That's show jumping. So you have to take it in stride and you have to not go into a deep depression when you have a couple of bad rounds and not to get too high on your horse when you have a couple of good wins because this sport will knock you right back in your hocks. <laughs> so you have to enjoy the wins, obviously, otherwise why else would you do it? But you can't be too you can't be too hard on yourself when, when it doesn't go well because you're dealing with two living creatures and you have no idea how they're gonna wake up in the morning. Welcome to Practical Horseman's Podcast, a show featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and this week's episode is with Irish show jumping star Kevin Babington, whom I chatted with at his farm in New Jersey after we wrapped up a photo shoot for his upcoming training story for the magazine. The youngest of 11 children and the son of a politician and wool merchant, Kevin Babington began riding in his native Ireland at age 11, where he fox hunted and participated in Pony Club, before training with Irish show jumping legend Iris Kellett and earning his British Horse Society instructor accreditation. Kevin later moved to the United States, where he worked for Frank and Mary Chapeau for several years before striking out on his own. In 2000, one of Kevin's students, Amateur jumper Sally Glassman gave him the opportunity to ride the phenomenal Irish sport horse gelding Carleen King. The pair went on to represent Ireland in numerous international competitions, earning, among many other honors, 12 Nation Cup team wins, victory in the Laval Grand Prix in France, and the King George Cup Grand Prix in Hickstead, England, both of which Kevin names as his fondest wins, individual 8th place at the 2002 World Equestrian Games, and individual 4th at the 2004 Olympic Games. Now based in Allentown, New Jersey, Kevin continues to train and compete at the highest level of the sport. In fact, he had an incredibly successful spring and summer, racking up wins across the East with his string of horses. He won the CSI three-star Asante Classic at the International Vermont a couple weeks ago with his biggest star at the moment, the 14-year-old Hanoverian mayor, Shorapur. Perhaps most notably, he made history at the Lake Placid Horse Show in July, sweeping the top three places in the 100,000 Great American Insurance Group Grand Prix, placing first with Shorapur, second with his up-and-coming 11-year-old Irish Sport Horse Gelding Superchilled, and third with the 17-year-old Irish Sport Horse Gelding Mark Q, Kevin's longtime partner and one of his all-time favorite horses. Kevin has a real passion for teaching and also says one of his favorite aspects of the sport is the training believing in a horse, working hard to strengthen and improve him, and then seeing how he develops. Kevin did a training story with us in the February 2012 issue about how to improve your horse's power and technique over fences, which you can find on our website. And keep an eye out for Kevin's story in our upcoming fall issue in which he explains how to stop your jumper from rushing to the fences. During our chat, Kevin shared what he sees as the differences in riding in Ireland versus the U.S., what it was like working for and learning from Frank and Mary Chapeau, his favorite horses, 
qualities he values in show jumpers, why he loves teaching, and more. Now let's jump right into the episode with Kevin explaining why he thinks he's been so successful. Um, I think the main reason is I'm very passionate about the sport. Um, I really love horses and I really enjoy what I'm doing. So in this sport, there's a lot of ups and downs. And I think you have to be able to push through the downs when you don't have good horses and you don't have good owners and you're riding horses around that you know that they're not good enough. If you just keep your head up and keep pushing, the good horses will come along. And I think in my career, I've had some very good horses and I've had some that I kept going to shows that weren't so good. And then just by perseverance, the good horses come along. Did you always want to be a professional rider? I probably knew when I was about 13 or 14 that I wanted to make a career out of horses or had some sort of a, wanted to make a career with animals. I always, whether I was going to be a vet or something to do with horses, but really didn't know that I was going to get into show jumping until I was probably 17 or 18. So what was it about about horses and riding that kind of drew you in? Um, as a kid, I was animal crazy. Um, I, was, I had all sorts of pets, um, a lot more than my parents even knew. <laughs> I had a mini zoo at home. I had rabbits, guinea pigs, gerbils, you name it, turtles, tortoises. I was every penny I could save, I bought pets with. So it sort of followed suit that once I got involved in some writing lessons that I fell in love with writing. And so all to do was basically a love of animals. And did you notice a difference in what it was like learning to ride and teach in Ireland versus when you first got here, you know, in the United States and what the teaching style is here? I would have to say that the very first horse show I went to in the States was Lake Placid. And I was blown away by the standard of riding. Just the average kid in the equitation or in the hunter ring or the average amateur I was blown away by how good they were because in Ireland you have the elite riders. It's changed in Ireland now because there's a lot more instruction, good instruction in Ireland than there was when I was growing up. But you had your very good riders and then your amateur riders were real amateurs. They were, you know, they fox hunted a little bit on the weekend and they'd go and do some show jumping. And then I got to Lake Placid and I'm like, wow, the, the style, the position, the how accurate these kids are, that, that impressed me. So I realize that in Ireland, you know, if you were at a riding school, you got a riding lesson every week. But if you kept your horses at home, most of the time you didn't have an instructor. You'd go in and get help from a local trainer or something like that. But you didn't have the day-in, day-out training that you do in the U.S. And that, that, that was the main difference. And could you just walk us through kind of um, how your riding progressed in Ireland and then why you decided to come to the U.S. and, and kind of how, how, your, um, how you progressed as a rider and eventually started teaching and, and training horses? So, yeah, so as when I was riding in, in Tipperary where I'm from, I was, you know, in my teenage years, I was involved in Pony Club and I loved eventing. Really, really like the eventing. Um, I galloped some racehorses for a, local, a very good local trainer, so I liked the racing. I thought maybe that's the direction I would go. I, I loved steeplechasing. Didn't never got a license, but I, you know, it's something I thought about. Um, and I 
figured I wanted to make a living from horses, so I never thought I could make a living from show jumping. You know, we had Eddie Mackin and Paul Dara, and they were, you know, they had their stables up near Dublin, and they were sponsored by cigarette companies and things like that, but I didn't really quite know how they made a living. So I had applied to go to the Irish National Stud to do stud and stable husbandry when I left, left high school, and so I thought I'd get into the thoroughbred industry. And when I went for the interview, basically I was told, look, we can't take you the first year, but if you do the Irish Certificate of Equitation Science, we'll take you next year. And Iris Kellett was a famous trainer in Ireland. Um, she won the Ladies' European Championships in the 50s and great, great horse lady. She trained Eddie Mackin and Paul Darren and all the top riders. She ran the Irish Certificate of Equitation Science there. So I applied there um, and they actually, the year I applied, they changed it from the our certificate of equitation science to the BHSAI and and one of the reasons I wanted to do that course is there was a lot of accountancy in it and it was something I was sort of thinking if I didn't get into horses maybe I would do and obviously I was around all these top show jumping riders and they said I was good at it and kind of held my own and so that's when I became really passionate about show jumping and realized that maybe I was good enough to make a career out of it. So that's how I got my, that's how, so I was at, I was just turning 18 at the time. And then did you decide at that point that you could make a better career of it in the U.S., or where did that decision come from? Yeah, so that, that's kind of a funny story. Um, my plan was when I left Kellett's was to go to Switzerland and a lot of Irish writers had gone over to work for it was a couple of big dealers in Switzerland and I figured it was a good place to go and get mileage in the ring and kind of get get plenty of show time working for these dealers so I had sort of a job lined up and an opportunity to came to and part of my course at um, at Irish Kellett's was it, to, you had to you get your, your certificate for teaching. And I um, had kind of a knack for teaching. I didn't think I would, but I actually quite enjoyed it and, and was figured I was actually quite decent at it. And, and I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about the basics, basic rules of teaching, you know. And so an opportunity came to work at a summer camp in Colchester, Vermont. And... Um, John Brennan and I came over together and um, we were instructors at the at the summer camp and we were sort of enticed to come because nobody was showed any interest and then the recruiter said it's an all-guard summer camp and there's only going to be a few guys in the property so we jumped at the opportunity <laughs> and that's how I ended up stateside. And then you eventually started your own business. Can you just talk about kind of, you know, what led you to that? Well, I was very fortunate. Um, like I said, the first horse show I went to was Lake Placid, and I got to get meet Frank Chapeau. And um, he was looking for somebody, but didn't need. He was looking for a rider, but didn't need him right away. So I interviewed with Frank, and he said, "Look, I have somebody that's working for me at the moment. I have to give them a chance to see if it's going to work. I don't think it is, and if the chances are, you get the job." So in the meantime, I needed a job, and I, I got um, John and BZ Madden needed help um, 
something had happened to one of their grooms at Lake Placid and they needed help grooming for the couple of weeks there or for the last week. So um, when I had that grooming job, John let me ride a few and figured I was handy at this and uh, offered me a job after Lake Placid. And then we went, so I got to be at home at their place in Casanova and spent nine weeks with them because I hadn't heard from Frank. And then John offered me a job, a pretty interesting position there. And um, and then I sort of said yes. And then literally the next day, Frank called and said, bring that young Irish lad down here. <laughs> so I, um, John said, if it doesn't work out, you, you're always welcome to come back. And um, so I had... I spent two and a half years with Mary and Frank Chappell, and that was brilliant. I got to ride all the young horses, and um, some some of their clients would send some of the young thoroughbreds in to learn to jump, and so a really good mileage there. What was it like working for Frank Chappell? I mean, it, it, you must have learned so much from him. I did, and I think when you work for Frank and Mary, you don't realize how much you're learning until you leave there um, they're good horse people really good horse people and they you learn to what what i found i took out of Chapeau's was really understanding the horse and learning to let the horse think for himself and not interfering too much with the horse um they um you, just the subtle things that I took away from there really, really, I think, have carried over even to now. Um, and, you know, I'm, I remember asking Mary to help me with a horse. I was there for almost a year and a half, and she gave me one of the best lessons I ever had. And I'm thinking, why didn't I ask her <laughs> a year ago, you know? And so she... Frank was fantastic, and Mary's an amazing horse person, and, and um, I wish I'd had taken more advantage of having Mary's help because she's a very good instructor. And you mentioned that you have a real passion for teaching. Um, is there something that you find yourself st saying to students all the time, um, over and over, or could you talk a little bit about some of your training, teaching philosophies in mm. general? Um, I, You know, the, the, the one thing nice about teaching as a writer is you tend to teach what you're working on yourself. So, you know, over the years, I probably put more focus on, I, I put my focus on what I'm sort of working on myself at that time, you know, and I think r teaching helps you to become a better writer and writer helps you to become a better teacher. So if you're, if you're dealing with an issue with one of your own horses, you might identify that issue with, student that comes in with a horse to help you with and then you and, and I'm I'm a one of those riders instructors that likes to get on the horse feel what they're feeling mm. get back down and sort of say okay try this and um, but the older I get the more you realize it's not so complicated you have to have the horses forward you have to have the horses straight they have to be in front of your leg and when all that is working the horse is either good enough or they're not good enough but it's it's usually the biggest issues stem from very basic mistakes very basic writing 
And throughout your career, you've had a lot of big and prestigious wins, including an individual eighth place at the WEG in 2002, an individual fourth um, at the 2004 Olympic Games. You know, is there any particular victory that stands out above the rest? Probably one of my fondest victories um, was winning the Le Ball Grand Prix on, on Carolyn King. Um, I'd had a very good year. I won two back-to-back Grand Prix in Florida that year. Um, at, now they'd be considered five-star Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Back then they weren't, but they were good. I remember McLean was second in one of them, and, and I think BZ was behind me. So they were, for me, they, it was huge, you know, to win those that level of Grand Prix. And then Le Ball, what I really was exciting about winning that is the lineup. Ludger was behind me, Michelle Robert was behind me, Michael Whitaker was behind me, and I think maybe Nick Scott. It was a, that, you know, they were all my heroes. So winning that really, really meant a lot. And that was actually the lead up to the Olympics. So it was a good year to, to have, it was a good, a good time to have a good year. And the other, um, I won the King George Cup in Hickstead. The conditions weren't great that day. It was the ground was bad and it rained like crazy. And my horse was fantastic. He was he was only one of two du- double pair rounds mm-hmm. that day, um, and that was that was a, a very fond memory because I, I I loved watching that class as a kid. So those were probably my two favorite places to win. And Carling King was certainly one of your most special horses. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got the ride on him and what he was like to ride, what he was like in the barn? Um, he wasn't uh, friendly and cuddly by any means. <laughs> he was, he was, a, he was, um, he, he had a strong personality. He was, well, he was very strong to ride. He had blood like you can't believe. Like a lot of people would look at Carling King and he looked like, almost a cold horse the way he was built, but he had so much blood. I, I mean, I jumped him around the Olympics with no spurs and he, he was hot. But he wasn't, the one thing about that horse that was good, he was strong and he was hot, but he didn't, fu- he wasn't fussy in the bridle. So you always knew where you were. And when I learned to, he used to run me a little bit deep to the vertical. Sometimes I was a vertical oxer. That was always my, my biggest concern. But once, he and I kind of got understood. He once he allowed me to ride the gap to the verticals, he jumped clean round after clean round after clean round. He was an amazing horse, and um, I ended up getting the ride on him. We we I purchased the horse for Sally Glassman as her amateur horse, but with the idea she, Sally and I had shared a couple of other horses that she did in the amateurs, so we were looking for a horse that could maybe do both both jobs and. He, we realized maybe six months after having him how much talent this horse, mm. his talent he had. And so Sally was nice enough to hand over the reins and let me take him to, to you know, to the level he got to. I mean, he, that horse jumped two European championships, a world championships and the Olympics. He actually jumped three European championships. He was an amazing horse. He jumped, he jumped them, um, the Demore, I think, four times, and he had more stamps on his passport than most businessmen. He was a great horse, but he was he he was strong as a horse to ride, and he was a very strong personality. He he he, he didn't want you to be in a stall hugging him. <laughs>
Yeah, I've heard stories about him trying to, you know, kind of take the arms off of a couple of grooms here and there. Yes. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about some of, you know, your current horses that you're excited about? Um, I mean, one of my all-time favorite horses, and he's still jumping at a high level, is Mark Q. He's 17 this year. Um, he's been a trooper. Um, I mean, he he always seems to step up to the plate. And um, Sharapur, I would have to say, is my top horse. She's won a lot of big classes. She's very competitive. She's hard to beat against the clock while everything is working. Um, she did have a couple of injuries along the way and Mark Hugh has always been the one to step up to the plate and say, hey, don't forget about me. And, and, and you know, he'd always sort of fill up those shoes and, and take her place. There, so they're my two, two top horses jumping at the highest level. And then Super Chilled has just moved up to sort of the four star Grand Prix level. Um, he He's 10 years old this year and... I'm sort of hoping for good things moving forward. Now he has to start sort of taking over first spot fairly soon in the next couple of years. And and I have a couple of nice, I have a horse called um, Carrick, an eight-year-old, that will start out doing some of the Princeton Grand Prix this year. And I have a horse called Call Me Ruth that um, had a slight injury, but she's back. And I'm hoping to start her and maybe some of those smaller Grand Prix this year also. What what do you think makes a good show jumper? What kind of qualities do you value? They have to they have to be brave. They have to want to do it. Um, at, you know, it takes a brave horse to canter down to a, a meter fifty, meter sixty jump. So um, obviously, they have to be careful enough. Careful is careful is very important. Um, so it's trying to find that combination of careful and brave. Um, you can. You know, the next, obviously, the next trait you look for is rideability. Like, they can be careful and they can be brave and they can be very difficult to ride. And that's, so if you can get a combination, like, you can, I always say you can be missing one ingredient, but you can't be missing two. If they're, if they're brave and careful and scopey, you can deal with a little lack of rideability. Like, Sharapur is by no means the easiest horse to ride, but she is brave and she is careful and she has enough scope. Um... Mark Hugh wouldn't be as careful as Sharapur, but he's he's more straightforward. He wouldn't be the easiest to ride, but he's more straightforward than Sharapur to get to the jumps. And he's scopey and he's careful enough where, you know, you just have to, there's places you have to give maybe a little more time to a jump. And um, super chilled, I think for that horse, he's scopey and he is careful. He lacked a little blood. He was a little bit on the colder side. But he's coming into that now. He's coming into more blood. So that's more rideability. You know, they have to be taking you to the jump if you're creating all the time. The sport is so technical now and, and jumps come up so quick now that it, they, they have to be self-motivated to jump the course. You can't be creating. You, you don't have the time to be creating all that energy. So that horse, I've been working on that and it's definitely getting better. Do you have any kind of pre-competition routines? Do you do you get nervous? And if so, how do you how would you handle that? Um, I think if you ask if you ask my grooms and stuff, they probably say I don't I don't get nervous. Um, I mean, I've definitely had shows where you're you're jittery for sure. Um, I didn't think I was nervous at 
the Olympics, but my brother-in-law was with me over there and he said, you were definitely nervous. You didn't say a word for two days. That's my way of maybe getting a little bit nervous is I don't, I, I go quiet, you know. Um, and it really depends on the horse you're riding. Like if you, if you know your horse is capable of going in and jumping a good round, you learn that it's not the end of the world if you have a rail down. You know, the older you get, the more you realize there's much more important things in life than jumping a clean round. Like you, you would, you'll always go in, you try your best. You, you, if you're, sometimes you'll go in and you'll hit three rails really hard and they all stay in the cups. Another day you'll go in and you'll have the lightest rod when the jump falls down. That's show jumping. So you have to take it in stride and you have to not go into a deep depression when you have a couple of bad rounds and not to get too high on your horse when you have a couple of good wins because this sport will knock you right back in your hocks. <laughs> so you have to enjoy the wins, obviously, otherwise why else would you do it? But you can't be too you can't be too hard on yourself when, when it doesn't go well because you're dealing with two living creatures and you have no idea how they're gonna wake up in the morning. Uh, what's kind of your your favorite part about the sport and maybe the part that's the hardest for you? Um, I, I love the training end of it. I mean, I know you're only in the ring for a minute and a half or a minute, um, and there's a lot of build up to that, but I, I love, I love taking a horse that's maybe a little weak and believing in it and then seeing it six months down the road and it's completely changed, but, and you, and you knew you spotted something in the horse and you make it a better horse. I really enjoy that end of it. Um, I love competition. I love to win. I love to be in the ring. Um, you know, being Irish, I have a lot of Irish friends that are involved in the sport and I enjoy spending time with them at the horse shows. And, and, and I have lots of American friends and friends from all over, mm -hmm. but I enjoy my, my, I don't have many friends when I'm not at a show, but I do have plenty of them when I'm at a show. Um, the hard thing about the sport the frustrating thing about the sport is the price of the cost of, of competing is just ridiculous. It's gone just out of control. So I think it keeps a lot of good riders away from the sport and the cost of horses have become ridiculous. Um, it's, you see, you go to a show and you see, you look outside the ring and you see so many top riders that are standing there helping other people in the ring, but they're not riding. That's part of the business and that's part of the sport. Um, and I, I guess we can't complain if we have good clients that can afford to do it. But it is, it is hard to see that a little bit where so many good riders are either forced to sell their horses once they get to a certain level or they can't afford to buy them in the first place because even good young horses have become very expensive. So I'd say if I had to pick something to complain about, that's, that's what I would pick. But the sport is in it is it's healthy. I mean, look at the shows. All the good shows are packed. The footing is better. The course designing is better. There's so many things that have improved so much, even since I came to this country. It's so many positive things, but the negative is the cost. Do you see any kind of solution to fixing that problem? I, I think it's going to be hard... It's hard in this country because shows are very much run as a business. And obviously to make ends meet, it's staff is becoming more expensive to hire, harder to find. 
So I'm sure the horse shows are having to pay a premium to just even keep their horse shows going. Um, there are there are there are solutions. Like I think what like something simple like Andrew Philbrick is offering this. You pay a, an upfront fee for your young horses, and they can compete for no entry fee um, at his series over there. And I think that's very good. I mean, and and he's smart because I'm sure. The riders that are taking advantage of that are bringing some clients to the show and bringing some other horses to the show. And I think there are a few things like that going on that if you really watch where you go, you can keep your overhead down and maybe win enough prize money or to, to kind of keep the whole thing afloat. It's very hard to do that at the best shows in the country. You know, um, if you want to go compete at Devon in the FEI, you know, you're writing a check for $3,800 before you walk in the door. You're jumping an amazing show and you're jumping for a lot of money. So if you do well, you have an opportunity to win a lot of money. But not everybody can afford to do that. So that's that's where it's a little bit difficult. Um, what are your other interests besides riding? I grew up playing rugby. I absolutely loved that. That was I was very passionate about that. Obviously, I wasn't big enough to be <laughs> make a career out of it, but um, and I did follow it a bit when I first came over. But you just get so busy with the horses. I I love to read. I don't get to. I usually fall asleep every time I pick up a book right now <laughs> at the moment. But and I love history. I love Irish history. I love American history. Um, I love to chat to people about history. I like I like to talk about things other than horses. Um, I love to be around people that know absolutely nothing about horses and don't want to talk to me about horses. I love that. <laughs> I love when I sit on a plane with somebody and they ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a farmer because I don't <laughs> want to talk about horses. I want to talk about something other than horses. But saying that, if I pick up a book, chances are it's something on nutrition, on horses or something. You know, I, 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 I do, I do like being, I learn, I love learning about different aspects of the sport and of, of, of the care for horses in general. But I do really enjoy a good non-horse conversation. <laughs> Great. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Kevin. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with eventing legend Jimmy Wofford, hunter rider and trainer Tom Brennan, and show jumper and humanitarian Georgina Bloomberg. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.